just everybody just a quick update. So appreciate your prayers for the elders as we've continued to just discern the, the, the future for our church. And, and so um, we had Caleb a couple weeks ago, and we're excited to have him <clears throat> back as, a, as someone that we're excited that, that the Lord has brought um, to us for conversation and for the potential of stepping into a, a pastoral role here alongside Chad. Um, and so just continue to pray as we figure out those details and work through that. And um, Caleb and his family are going to come hang with us today at Fern Cliff. And so it'll be a good chance for you guys to just kind of get to know them a little bit more. But I'm excited for him to bring the word. And, and I've, I've been blessed by each time we've talked to him, um, ask him to come preach. He's, he's very willing and eager. In fact, prefers to just pick up in our series where we are instead of preaching his pocket sermons. And so that says a lot to me as a pastor. Uh, you, get, you get a chance to come and, and preach at a church where you're, you're trying to get a job. You oftentimes want to, like, hey, I got this one sermon. It went really well. Can I preach it? And he has been willing and eager to say, no, no, let me just pick up where your church is. And so preached in John 8 for us last, last time and is uh, continuing our series on who is the church this time. So I'm grateful for that, and I'm excited for him to bring the word. So I'm up here. I'm going to pray for you. Okay? God, I'm blessed um, and encouraged by this guy. And... Um, and I'm, I'm blessed by just getting to sit under your word in general, uh, especially from someone who loves you and your word so much in your church. And so I pray your blessings over this time and over Caleb as he brings the word. I pray that you would just um, empower him with a specific anointing for this time, for this moment, for this people, and through this for this uh, topic, and through your word and the passages that you've led him to. I pray you would just speak powerfully to us. Uh, may you transcend uh, the moment of, of uh, thinking about uh, him as a candidate and all of those things that could potentially rob from just hearing from you this morning, Jesus, because that's what we need. Uh, we, we need and, and long and desire to hear from you. So I pray that you would do that this morning through your Holy Spirit. Anoint this this man in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jordan. All right. It's so good to be back. Uh, I'm Jordan said, My name is Caleb. We, we loved our time last time, and we've looked forward to this for the last week and a half. Uh, so you knew that maybe there's an idea to come back. A uh, little bit different, and Jordan kind of mentioned it if you are here last week. Uh, we're in a topical series here at The Journey now, and so a few weeks back we were in John, and so you just, that's really easy, right? You just read verse by verse and see what uh, God's Word has for us. Today we're going to be talking about community. We're talking about who is the church, and so I think this is your second week in that series. And so because of that, there's not actually one specific passage where... Jesus provides us, here's what membership looks like, and we're going to read that passage. So because of that, we're going to work through some of what the New Testament has to say. If there's a chief text for us, it's maybe 1 Corinthians 12, but we're just going to use some different passages so we can see as we examine the whole scope, really, of the New Testament, uh, what, does the, what does the Bible have to say about community, in particular, uh, membership in the local church? Um, what we know is like if you were to read the Bible, um, what we see in it is that we were made for community. And so we kind of had to summarize what we're going to talk about this morning. It's, it's, we were made for community, and right now, because of that, we're called to experience the community that we are made for in membership with a local church, like right here. And so I was, I was thinking about this, and also, as Jordan mentioned, the reality of kind of even what this is right now. I'm thankful. I didn't really think of that last time until after service, Josie asked what it was like. He said, what is it like to, to stand up in front of almost 200 people and give a job interview. I said, I don't know. That did not cross my mind one time. And so, so now it has, and so here I am. Um, and so, no, no, like, no, there's a sense of strange. It's not really because of that, like all joking aside, but more because there's a desire to be here and being honest. The strangeness is in the fondness. As, as you look at a people that you think, like, my family could be family, with these people, and yet we don't really know each other, but there's this desire, there's this excitement, there's this nervousness, 
And it all matters. All of that matters. And the reason is because we don't come on Sunday mornings in a local body for some like procession of procedure of a program. That's not what's happening here, right? But rather, we're coming to a particular place with a particular group of people that we've covenanted our lives to because of what Jesus has secured for us. And so even, I mean, I shared this with Jordan before, and I think it's important just to share, like, my grandpa, who passed away this March, gave great advice when I was graduating college and considering what it could look like to be called to a local church. And he said, Caleb, like, I can't tell you where God's going to call you, but I will know it should be a church that you would just want to be a member of. And, like, that was the best advice I've ever been given. How do you know? It's like, is this a church that would just want to join as a member? And so if this becomes your desire, if this becomes um, maybe where you land, I want you to hear from us that our hearts would be to, to be members here first. And there's this personal conviction that I think before you ever enter into serving a church through pastoring, you, you enter covenantly through membership. And so, um, but regardless of that, it's really not that important outside of maybe there's some things pertinent to what's happening this morning to your decisions. But regardless, also in this teaching, I think it's even more important in this opportunity that you have to realize the call that Jesus has offered to your, on your life to join in in membership here. Like as you've come in community here, like what that is and what that can look like. And if we had time and we don't have time, we could really set up a great case for why community is needed here. Um, that's what the, I think all the scope of scripture really shows. Like in Genesis chapter one, what does God say in verse 26? He says, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, right? In other words, what he's saying is we were created from community, from the Trinity is what he created us from. And then we see we are created for it. In Genesis chapter 2, one passage over, there's this amazing paradox. In a perfect world, God looked and says, something's not good. Like, how can that be? In a perfect world that lacked nothing, he says it's not good because it's lacking something. And in that, God gives Adam a wife, right? Eve comes forth um, from his side. And then in Genesis 3, we see we're severed from it in the fall, that not only is this brokenness between God and man, but as they hide from God, they also hide from each other in their sin. Then we all the way at the end of Revelations 21 and 22, we see tied with our hope of salvation is our redemption and restoration and resurrection back to community with God, full union with God, and it's together. Like, we have this together. And the reason I bring that up is because until that happens, and that really will happen one day, until that happens, membership to a local church is where you're called to live in the thing that you are made for. It's not merely that the local church, I was thinking about this, it's not merely that the local church is like water to a fish, right? Like a source of community, a place that you can find belonging, one of many, but rather the Bible says that we are truly fish out of water without it. Like as we read, we, we see, what are we? We're, we're sojourners. The Bible says we're aliens. We're those in, in the world, but not of it, right? And so this is the source for Christians to find the community that we are made for. The local church, it's an embassy. Like, in a way, it's amazing. to think It's truly a habitat of heaven as we are Holy Spirit-filled people, God's possession, a, a people you can belong to in a place that you don't. And so because of that, this morning, we're going to spend about first half of our time unpacking if and how and why this is true. Biblically, don't take my word for it. Let's see what the Bible says. And then after that, after we, the first half of our time, do that, we're going to unpack three particular implications of this reality that we're created for a community, but in particular in the body of a local church. And so here's kind of the big point, if you're one of those people like to write down, or if it helps you to know where we're going, or the first half of our time, um, it's that we were bought on the cross by Jesus to himself, but we were also brought by the cross of Jesus to each other. 
we were bought on the cross of Jesus to himself, but we were also brought together by the cross of Jesus to each other. There's two things that happen on the cross. On the cross, Jesus reestablished this vertical relationship between the church and God, right? Like he, he redeemed us and he bought us back. And then this simultaneous corporate and individual reality in that. We have this as the church, this vertical relationship is restored as we sing, as we pray. We know that God hears, that Christ is mediating on our behalf. It's restored. But also, as Jesus did that, he also established a new body, his body, right? And in doing so, established this horizontal relationship back with one another as he brought together his church. And there's so many places in the New Testament we could turn to to find but, but this week as I was studying, one of the places most powerful that I think is particularly important for our time together comes in Titus chapter 2. Um, the verse might be behind me and I'll read it or you can just write it down. Um, but I'll, I'll read it, Ch Titus chapter 2 verse 4. Paul's speaking about what Jesus did. And so uh, here, here's what Paul says in Titus. Paul tells us that when Jesus died, he, that being Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us, from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So what is Paul writing to Titus here? Well, he's saying in his death, Jesus redeemed a people to and for himself. This word redeem is really important. Um, the definition to redeem, it literally means to buy back, to make atonement, to pay ransom, to pay the cost in full. And in Jesus' sacrifice for our sins, this is exactly what he did. Like He bought you back. He bought you back. But again, simultaneously, as when Jesus died, as he bought us back to himself, he also brought us together. Like He brought together his bride, his body, his church. And this is where this gets really, really amazing as we study the full scope of the New Testament. I think we know that. We would say that's true. But as we consider the implications from what other passages share with us, it's incredible to me. Um, there's this particular point in the book of John that you'll get to, and I don't know how many weeks or months, right? But we'll, we'll be there eventually um, that we're going to see, um, where, where John deliberately wants to make known that Jesus really died. There's this passage during the crucifixion that he really wants to make known in John chapter 19, that it was known that Jesus was dead. And we have to ask ourselves, like, why would that be important? Why, why would John want to make sure to point out that they really wanted to make sure that he was really dead? Again, it's answering what Paul's sharing to Titus, right? What happened when Jesus died? Like at the moment he died, Jordan just talked about this, right? At the moment we knew he was dead, sins were paid for in full. There's no more cost. There's no more debt. There's nothing left. There's no more wrath, right? Jesus has paid it all. The moment he truly died, payment's made. And so John's account, he makes explicitly clear exactly when it was that Jesus died on the cross. And therefore then, when, when we God's people know that we were bought back by Jesus, as Paul talks about in Titus 2, verse 4. And so I'm going to read it to you. This is, this is just so amazing. This is incredible. So here's verses 33 through 34 in John 19. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Okay. Now, why do the guards do that? Why, why do they poke him with the spear? I'm not a doctor, I can't, but I've read this, and so I think you might know too. Like, when they, when they pierced his side, if blood and water flowed from his side, they knew 
um, from studying, and they, they knew were well-versed in the art of crucifixion and killing people, that if that happened, the person was truly dead. That was the byproduct of this hor- horrific death. And so when they pierced his side, it confirmed and displayed Jesus is dead. But here's what we also know theologically, and this is what is amazing. As they pierced Jesus' side, declaring and demonstrating that he had surely died, so too ushered forth was his bride, the church. Like, think about, think about this. Like, once again, here recorded in Scripture, God is assembling from the side of another, a body, a bride. But this time, it's his bride, his body, his church, right? Like, like think with me, like, the intricate and the incredible ways that God connects all of Scripture here. Like, we already referenced it, but, but God brought forth Eve from Adam's side. So in sacrifice, in giving, he received his bride. From his side, God literally brought forth a new body. And yet we know in a perfect garden, they went to a tree and mankind sinned against God and redefined the whole scope of human history. And yet here in John chapter 19, what we just did in remembering here at this table, right? We remember that Jesus, he too went to a garden, one far unlike Eden, right? Facing the suffering of our sin. And then the next day he too went to a tree. And at that tree, mankind once again sinned against God. But this time, in the most wonderful, most spectacular way, human, the scope of human history was once again redefined, right? For, for as the guards pierced Jesus' side to make sure that he really died, as the blood and water poured forth proclaiming Jesus as Jordan just shared, like almost verbatim, right? So it was being pronounced that Christ had bought back his bride and brought together his people, the church. What we see is on this cross, Jesus redeemed and restored community. But as he did it, he did so by bringing together his body, his bride. Meaning then, the only way, because of this gospel, that we can actually talk about healthy community is truly by understanding the community Jesus brought us to in the church. And even more particularly, called us to in a local church. And so that's what we see here. But if you're like the Berean church, right, and actually might be asking, prove it, show it to me, right? Like, I, I see a little bit, but how exactly do we know that this is actually what Jesus accomplished on the cross, that he really brought forth his bride, that he actually bought, brought together a new body called the church? Like, where in the New Testament do we actually see that? And even more particularly, where in the New Testament do we see we're called to belong to a church in a local community? Like, I think very well here in this room, we might agree that Jesus bought us back. I mean, we sing those songs, right, that Jesus paid it all for our sins, But did he actually bring together his church, his bride, a body of believers that we're called to join with? This is the key question, right, for our time. Like, are we actually, truly, biblically called to belong to a local body? And I think there's so many places in the New Testament we could go to. But again, in studying, I think one of the most um, particularly helpful places to turn to, um, if you want to, again, it might be behind me, but it's in Ephesians uh, chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, it might be on the screen behind me. Um, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 27. I think this is a passage you might be familiar with. Um, it's where Paul's writing and addressing wives and husbands, but then he says this is really, I'm talking about Christ and the church, right? I'll let you turn there. Okay, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife, this is key right here, as Christ is the head of the church, 
He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without any spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. So again, reading first, we think, okay, he's talking about wives and husbands. But then when he finishes, he says, yes, I'm using them, but I'm really, I'm talking about Christ and the church because the real bride in this passage isn't the wife, it's, it's the church, right? And Christ is the groomsman. And then we also see is not only is the church the bride being compared here, but what? The church is also called his body. And in fact, the body that he's the what of? The savior of. And later in verse 30, it says, we're actually members of this body, confirming in that the church is who he purchased, brought to life, brought together when he died, both a, a bride and a body. And this isn't the only place in Ephesians. I'm going to flip over just a few chapters. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23 says this. It might, again, be behind. I'm not quite sure. Um, it says in verse 20, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet. And here we go. And appointed him as the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Jesus in chapter one echoes the same truth. The church is Christ's body. And, and, and this is important because this actually what we know from this passage, this includes all who have believed, right, and have gone on to be with the Lord, those who are believing now, us, and those who will come to believe, those who have maybe even been born yet. In fact, Revelation uh, 13 tells us about this. There's this group, this redeemed ransom community that spans centuries of human history. And in Revelation 13, there's this book, and, and this book's titled The Book of the Life of the Lamb Who Was Slain. And it was established before the foundations of the world. And names are written in it that Jesus bought on the cross. We just sang about it, too. One of the songs, I don't know if you caught the words, that's what we sang about, that Jesus recorded our names, right? They're recorded in the book in heaven. This is the book. And he, he bought us and wrote our names down before he even created anything. That's the church, his body. It's this community of believers that we sometimes call the universal church or like the big C church. I feel like today might do a, like the third quarter of YMCA a bit, just like to distinguish between, but big C church. Um, when we say that, what, what we're doing is we're actually using this word in the New Testament that's called ecclesia. Um, it's a word we use for church, and, and it simply means an assembly or a gathered body. And it's helpful for us to understand what this word is because it's actually not church. Like the word ecclesia in that time didn't mean church. Um, it, it was used in all kinds of other settings, it really was just used to describe a gathered body. And the reason this is important, I think a better understanding of ecclesia and what we now define as church, we realize that the New Testament actually defines this new body. And so the outflow of God's words help us define the reality of what an ecclesia is according to what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And the reason I bring that up is because there's actually two uses of this word in the New Testament. There's big C church, right? Ecclesia. There's this overarching, complete community of believers, but there's also this little C, this little C church, Ecclesia, that's also talked about. And that's going to be really important for our time because right here, the little C church, right? We belong to each other in a unique, different way. We're called to that in this room 
in a different way. And one of the key passages where we see this talked about is 1 Corinthians 12. Um, and this is going to be a little bit bigger chunk of text, um, but I think it's really helpful for our time just to see that the Bible really talks about this. So you go ahead and turn there, if you will, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And the reason this is important is because there's not a verse, a verse that just says that after you become a Christian, you should join with the local church. I mean, that would be really helpful. It would sum up our time. Like it'd be like a one-sentence sermon, right? But it doesn't mean the Bible's silent on that. And this passage, especially as we're going to compare it just briefly with Ephesians, we see that. Okay. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12, says, For just as the body is one, and that's the church, right? Body is one, and it has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body. So also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving great honor to the less honorable, so there will be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping administration, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have the gift of healings? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. Okay. Here's the main takeaway from this text. Like what we see here is that Christians are called to participate as members of local churches, little c churches, right? Journey Southern Illinois Church here. We already saw that we are members of the big C church. Ephesians makes that very clear. But Paul here, he's writing to the church at Corinth, and he's wanting to, to present another truth, that actually they were belong to each other in Corinth together. They'd be members there in a different way that they would be members with the church in Ephesus, that they belong in a more unique, particular way. And without filling our whole time how we know this is happening, there's this usage of the word headship in Ephesians that's different from the way that it's used here in 1 Corinthians 12. And what it does, it distinguishes two different kinds of bodies, that, that Christ is truly the head of the church. But here we see being used in a different way making sense this is a different, more temporal, particular body that we're called to join with in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So that's what it's making clear, that there's a different temporary local body. But the thing we do know from it is because of this then, we are called to exist and belong to this body as members do, to a physical body. 
That's why membership is used. Like, again, it doesn't say be a member of a local church, but we see that word membership used in describing all throughout the New Testament. Here's, here's the biggest takeaway then as you study 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Like, what this means for us is that, the, is that though the local church, it's not forever permanent, and it's not. The local church is not forever permanent. It is temporally primary in the life of Christians. Again, the local church, like what we have here, this won't forever be permanent. We don't see that in the New Testament. But it's temporally primary in the life of a believer to belong to one now. Just as Jesus bought you to himself, he has. He also purchased you and bought you to the church universal, this bride we see in Ephesus. But he also calls you to a church membership in a local church, like in Corinth. Therefore then, like as we aim to talk about healthy community, we realize that Jesus came and he died to restore you to it and to live it out in the context of a local church. Like guys, in his goodness, like in his death for you, like it was for goodness for you is why he died, right? Like in that, attached to that, the local church is what he brought you to. Like we can't look at the cross and say, did Jesus establish only partial goodness for me? So if there's implications from that reality of his sacrifice for us, hasn't he demonstrated enough that we can trust him and what he's called us to from his sacrifice on the cross? And then if that's not enough, in his authority, I mean, he picked his life back up. He walked out of a tomb. I don't know about you, but if you walk around grave, there's no one else is doing that. He walked out. So if he has the authority to speak his life back, and if he says, I call you to belong, I think we can trust him. I think we should follow him. On the cross, Jesus not only established our relationship to himself, and he did, but he has now reestablished our relationships to each other through bringing us to his church. And we're called to live that out in belonging and participating together in a place like right here. So we're going to spend the rest of our time, like I said, that's about the first half or a little more. We're going to spend the rest of our time talking about three particular implications or, or realities because of this. And so again, if you're kind of an umbrella person, kind of an umbrella idea for these three points we're going to talk about is that a healthy church is not a place you just attend, but it's a people you belong to and participate with. So a church, a healthy church, is not a place you just go to. It's a people you belong with. Like, I love the title, right, like of this sermon series. Better question than what is the church, it's who is the church. I'm going to be honest, I was also a fan of the almost title. Did that get shared last week, the almost? No, I'm going to, so okay, I wrote it down. So Jordan's title, so I'll put it on him, was, I think it was Toes Without a Body or Weird. Is that close, right? And that was also really funny. I thought that was a great, like, Toes Without a Body or Weird. Um, it didn't make the cut, maybe because toes on a body are also kind of weird, so that could have been why it got vetoed, or because the graphic would have just been too graphic. I don't know, like, like to think about, like, or maybe just I think the elders didn't want to communicate. We thought the journey was a room full of toes. Like, I'm not sure. But regardless, like, the truth in, in, in the title that's used, it's so helpful because the journey, it's not merely a place you belong to. You don't just belong to this address, to this building. It's a people you have the opportunity to belong with. And so there's three, three truths within this then. Here's the first one. Before you can be a part of the church or this church, you have to be a Christian, Right? Like, that's the reality in all of this. Like, Jesus, he came to restore you to the community that he created you to know and to have, right? But before you can have that, like, you have to have him. Um, I, have, I have a friend of mine who says, I like this, like, identity always precedes community. And I like that thought, right? 
Like, there's this truth in that. Like, in fact, common identity often is what creates community. And what that means is you can't have what the community exists in if you don't have the reason or what is required for the why that that community exists. Or, or to put another way, it's exactly kind of the flow of this sermon series. Last week, Pastor Chad taught on citizenship, right? Citizenship in the Bible always precedes membership, always. You have to be a citizen, become a citizen before you can belong in membership. And as I thought about this, like, I don't know if you know our part of our family story. About three weeks ago, we got off the plane on the way back from Thailand. And let me tell you, there is a big difference in the way that we approach an immigration officer in Detroit, Michigan, and Bangkok, Thailand. Like, we had to go for our visa extensions uh, quite often and, and get stamps. And, I mean, you'd have to be, bring packets of binders with insurance proofs and purchase new insurance and taxes and documents and hope you have it all right in the right order and still that they would want you to be there and stamp it. And it was always nerve-wracking because we weren't citizens. Like, we hadn't had what was necessary to actually belong there because we haven't become citizens of Thailand. So we'd sit there and... They'd be speaking Thai, and I'd be trying to use my Thai, but I'm nervous. Like, oh, pom my cow jai. Like, I would just say over and over, acha kun kun ja put panreya, panreya put gengua pom. And so, like, and they would just laugh, and eventually they'd start speaking English with me. I was like, that would have been so much more helpful. Like, could we, could have started there, right? Like, I, like, I would say, like, speak with my wife because she knows better, but they would speak with me in English, so that helped. Um, but the difference when we came in Detroit, I mean, talk about confidence, right? I mean, you land, and we're home, like, like, I mean, I would wear the passports everywhere we went because I didn't want a chance of losing them. But when the plane lands, I'm stuffing them in the backpack because I'm like, even if we lose those, this is my home. Like, they're not sending me back. I belong here. We'll figure it out. You just, you walk through with full confidence because I've already become what's necessary to be here. And now I belong. That's, that's really the reality that's happening here. And practically, here's what this means then. Like, the starting point for the belonging, for the community that you long for it never can actually start through horizontal relationships with each other. Like, just like I couldn't walk in and give a list of all my Thai neighbors and friends who say, oh, we really want them to be here. We really like the Thompson family. Like, let them stay. That's not how it works in becoming a citizen, right? It actually is dictated from the top down. Someone above has to allow us to become before we can belong. And that's also true here. Like, as wonderful as it's been to learn about this culture of community and authenticity here, right? And, like, we've experienced firsthand, like, you know, talked about it, the warmth of the people here. And we've been so grateful uh, because of that. But none of that, none of that, as good as it may be, is a starting point that you can use to actually build the relationships you need to have real community. Like, what, what this means then is, like, the grounds for the foundation of any relationship between two people in the church is never actually themselves. That's not actually the starting point. But it's always predicated on the relationship that Jesus started with you when he bought you, right, and gave you new life. Or more simply put than that, no one in this room has the ability to give you life. Like there's not that one member who we're going to, like, oh, can you give me new life? I'd like to be born again. Not happening, right? No one has that power in this room. And therefore then you can't just lean in and start a relationship here in hopes that it brings you to the thing that you actually want and need. You must first become a new creation born again in Christ, before you can ever belong in the way that you want to. So before you can belong to the church, to have the community Jesus wants for you, you must be born again. I just want to say, if this is you, like, if this is where you're at, like, you come in here and you maybe even feel a bit like an outsider room full of insiders. Like, I get that. Um, been there, right? 
I just want you to hear Jesus loves you. Like, he loves you. Like, God truly came to earth, but he didn't just come. He came as a man, not just clothed in the likeness of humanity, but he truly became a man, right? And he lived perfectly in goodness and integrity, and then he died for your sins. He took every one of them, and then three days later, he rose from the dead, and he sits on the throne right now, desiring nothing more than to mediate on your behalf, to plead for you the goodness of his work, and then to come back for you. And not just to come back for you, but to, so he can create your death and take what is the worst day in your life and make it a mere doorway to resurrected life. That's what he wants to offer you. I want you to have that if, you, if you're here. I think that's why you're in this room, because he wants you to have that. If that's you, here, he loves you. And if you found that, like if you're a Christian, it leads to the second point. Like if you are a Christian, you belong to the church, right? Like big C, church. But you're also called to, to belong to a local body. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about some conversations I used to have as a college pastor. Um, none of us are individually wedded to Jesus. You might say, of course. But I, I remember um, some conversations where I had to remember this because like Jesus, he, he's our friend, He's our shepherd, he's our brother, he's our savior, he's our Lord, he's our king, but he's no one's husband, like not your husband at least, right? And I served with college students, and so every once in a while I'd hear a girl say, right now I think I'm just going to date Jesus. I was like, stop, and like, I, I think I understand the sentiment of what you're saying, but also I want you to hear what you're saying, because that's a bit strange, and even presumptuous if we think about it, over 2,000 years of church history that you're the one then that he it's picked, like this is, there, it gets weird in every way that you think about that, right? Like joking aside, I think it's actually important to point out because we have this tendency within us. Like we actually, we, we live in this individualistic Western society. And because of that, we all, if we're honest, have this cultural inclination to reduce our relationship to Jesus as only ourself and God. It's just natural. I'm not even saying it's bad. It's just where we're from. It's what we've grown up in. And because of that, we have a, we're dispositioned to think of only individually between me and God. And we have that. We have direct access. And that's why we're a Baptist church here, right? Priesthood of the believer. But nonetheless, we can live this out. Like I was thinking, and this is mostly joking, but like soft music, a warm blanket, some coffee, maybe with a Bible verse on the mug, right? Like you're spending the evening just swiping right on Romans and as I thought about it, I realized I have you going backwards in Romans, but it just made more sense for the joke. Like, I'm not even saying that's bad. Like, there's, the scripture calls us to have these intimate moments where we commune with Jesus. But I think sometimes we're really good at that, and we forget the other thing that he established for us. Because it's actually also so very vital that we remember our relationship with Jesus is also as a people. It is. Like, as a member of his bride as a member of a local body. As I said, like we, we're, we're dispositioned to not remember the collective nature of our relationship with Jesus. Even that sentence sounds a bit foreign, right? That there is a collective nature to our relationship with Jesus. It's he and I, but it's also us and him. That's what's happening on the cross. Um, therefore then, if this is true, uh, you not only need to live this life like in a solely in an individual pursuit of Jesus, and you are, you are saved individually, but it's also in a corporate pursuit of Jesus. We are called to worship, experience, serve, and obey Jesus together. Like the reality of belonging to a body is over and over again um, spoken about in the New Testament. But I think one of the most compelling ways that this is made known, that we need to think about us 
in relationship with Jesus. There's this use of the word saints in the New Testament. I remember reading this a few years ago and was struck by it. I believe the word saints is used about 60 times in the New Testament. And every single time that word saint is used, it's always in the plural sense. Isn't that fascinating? According to this person, I haven't gone through and read every and marked in my Bible, but it's a pretty reliable source that every time the word saint is used, it's in the plural sense. It doesn't mean there aren't individual saints in the kingdom of God, but there are. But rather, it's an intentional statement, I think, from the New Testament defining our identity in Christ as communal, that we are blood-bought saints corporately together. It's what we see. I trace all this out because to live individually at the local church, I think it's actually to remove yourself of the collective body Jesus died to bring you to and have community with. But wait, hear this. He died so that you could belong now to a local church. Definitely more than that, too. That's not it. But it's no less than that reality. So if you are a Christian, hear from his word today. Jesus is calling you to belong to a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-obeying local church. Whether it be here or somewhere else near here, I think the journey would celebrate. Like, somewhere that teaches the Bible and honors the Lord. Like, belong there, though, and know the fruit of that. But also to realize, to not move towards that, it really is to look what Jesus did on the cross and to say no. So like, as a Christian, we don't ever want to be in that position. So hear that from his word. Okay, lastly, a healthy church is a, is a, a group of people both consuming and contributing. A healthy church is full of people both consuming and contributing, not just one or the other. So we see in this, we're called to be a Christian first. If you're a Christian, you're called to belong to a church. If you belong to a church, you're called to both be a contributor and a consumer. Um, one of my favorite places this is illustrated is in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And so in the first chapter of Philippians, in verses 3 through 7, here's what it says. It says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all are making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. So that's key. From the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. And again, next part, it's key. For you are all partakers of me of grace. Why is it that Paul says he's filled with joy every time he thinks of this church at Philippi? What does he say? He says, well, because they are both partners. They're partners, right? What does that mean? Partners means invested contributors here. That's what we see in the gospel. But also simultaneously, they're also all partakers of Christ's grace. Therefore, as a church, they live in this balance of contributing and consuming. And this is what I think a healthy church looks like. So to measure then, if we are in a healthy church community, I think ask yourself, can I just as easily serve as be served? Or vice versa. Like, ask yourself that question. Like, like as a member of a church, you are meant to serve the body. You're meant to serve the body. And he hear this. God has uniquely equipped you as you're in this room. He has given you and unique, unique equipping through spiritual gifts and talents and treasures and ways that you can serve this local church that others cannot. And because of that, because he's given that to you, he's also called you in stewardship to serve here. And so like the practical application might simply be after service to find Chad or Jordan and raise your hand and say, I would like to serve. Like I would love to serve. I want to find a way to step into obedience to serve this local church. But just as important as that, is also to remember we not only need to serve, but also be served. 
and I was thinking about this and, and realizing, at least in my own heart, but maybe this is true for all of us, I think like we as humans all have this tendency to take something we're serving in, something that's meant to honor the Lord, but in our sin, our contributing to others eventually somehow becomes more about the control we can keep for ourselves. I don't know if that rings true with anyone else. Maybe I'm just exposing myself up here in front of a group of people I don't know real well. But that's, uh, <laughs> I think we do that, right? Like we, oh, I'm serving. But somehow along the way, the dial moves from I want to contribute to give and love of others to I don't want to let this go because it might not look the way I want it to, right? And that's dangerous in our serving of the church. That, that can be really dangerous. I think there's some helpful ways we can um, assess if it's as us. Like, like a wonderful way to maybe avoid this is to ask someone to join with you in your serving. Like, do you ever ask someone to come in and contribute with you? Or do you take days off from serving and, and gather in worship and let others serve? Maybe in the same exact area that you do that they might do it in a complete different way. And when they do that, are you able to receive in a grateful heart? Like, like ask yourself, as that happens, do some self-assessment and say, am I quick to be served or is my first response to critique? I think it's good to measure our hearts. Are we, are we willing to be loved on in the local church? And the reason I bring this up, because I think it's necessary to remember, like you need others here and they need you. We, we have to remi- remind ourselves of that. Like 1 Corinthians 12 makes clear that God in all of his glory decided to spread out all the spiritual gifts so that we cannot be healthy without the contribution of others. That's what the Bible's saying. What this means is we're not only better together, we're actually only healthy together. Like, think about it. Again, the same way, to the same degree that a finger or a toe, right, could, could survive being severed from the body, you could survive being severed from Christ's body. And this is rhetorical, but to what degree could you survive? None, right? Like zero. You can't. We, we must belong to Christ's body. And this isn't because the others in the local body are greater than you, but it's because God is great. And it, because that's true and what he's done, and each person in the local church is both the same shared spirit of God, but unique and different indwelling spiritual gifts of God. Think about that. God is great. And in the local church is the same shared spirit, the same shared power of God. We all have that in the same way yet simultaneously unique and different indwelling spiritual gifts have been given by God. And each of us have been given unique and different gifts so that we will live self-sacrificially to love and serve and care for and encourage one another. Jesus has called you here to love and care for this family as Jesus has bought you and brought you to it. And so we're about done today, but it just feels like a special day to even get to teach on this I don't know if you guys spend the majority of Sundays together often, but today you have that opportunity, right? Like as a church, you're gathering this morning and then you're going to go to a picnic almost the rest of the day today. And so lean into that. Like as we wrap up worship and then move through fellowship the rest of the day, ponder and consider what God has for you. Like move towards others. Like ask questions, ask ways to serve, learn about others. Be open and vulnerable about ways that others could serve you. Care for each other. Get to know each other. As we spend this Sunday, to, Sunday together, the whole day, right? May we do so recognizing the opportunity we have to love one another. Like God has intentionally assembled each of you in this room. Like, like just as sovereignly as he bought you back, 
as intentional as that was, so too is this assembly. Like, it's not by accident that you're here. He is sovereign, and all things are in no things. And so if he brought you here, this because this is his assembly, and he's brought you to this place. And those are for days of celebrating. Like, one of the things that I shared with Jordan, besides the warmth and the care, I, I think the word I use is also just teeming with life, right? Like, I think like 50-plus children right down the hall. There are so many days of celebration that are in the future of this church, right? I mean, as you look, it's beautiful, right? I mean, there's birthdays, there's starting school, there's literally soccer, and one day it's going to turn to weddings and gradu- or graduations and weddings and grandchildren. There are days in this church ahead of celebrating. And there are also days of darkness and despair and hurt, and God has given you each other for both of those, right? There's going to be days where life calls for wisdom and big family decisions, and that's what the church is here for. And there's also going to be days that are going to be long seasons of waiting. That's what the church is here for. That God has given a body to care for you and for you to care for others. So my prayer then is like, may, until Jesus returns, the journey Southern Illinois truly be a people that holds fast to his promises, those we're about to sing right now, and holds fast to caring for one another. It may be a people that until he returns and brings heaven to this home, because he's going to do it, he's coming back one day, and each day we're a day closer, that we speak and then we sing in a way that's trusting of this and what he's done for us. And so that's what we're going to do. We're, we're going we're to pray, and we're going to worship again. And as we do, speak to God, worship to God, but also feel the weight of getting to worship alongside those that are here. Realize that this is a unique opportunity. And so be thankful to God. Respond as necessary as God would have you respond. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll worship. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for making clear a place to belong, for establishing that. God, thank you for the way that your word guides us and how we go about this. That God, you describe clearly how we should function together, that your New Testament, God, gives clear instructions. And also you give clear structure so we know how to honor you, but also how to honor one another. God, so that in our lives, we reflect Christ's goodness. God, I pray that you continue to be with this church, that God... You'll not be in vain what you did on the cross. God, we ask that you be glorified and we think what would glorify you the most if the relationships continue to grow stronger and stronger in this room. God, that we would live out the implications of the gospel in our lives, that that the things that we profess with our mouth, we truly believe in our hearts and God, that moves to our hands so we become hands and feet. Lord, outside these walls, but also inside, that we truly be marked as a community who love one another. We know that we can ask this because you've already loved us in this way and you've promised to make us like you, Jesus. And so we do. God, we trust that what you ask, if it's what you've told us that we can ask for, that you will do it. So we ask that you will do it in this place. Praise in Jesus' name.